Well, happy Easter Village Church. All right, we can do a little bit better than that. Happy Easter Village Church. There we go. That sounds like it. I'm Matt, one of the pastors here at the village, and I'm glad to be with you. I have good news for you, Village Church, this morning, as we have every Sunday morning. We have good news in particular this Easter Sunday morning, and here's what it is. We can have hopeful wisdom about life's hardest questions because of the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? We can have hopeful wisdom for life's hardest questions because of the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. And as Christians, our hope for all things is rooted, our hope for all things is grounded in the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus. The apostle Peter says it this way, as we know from our recent sermon series, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through his resurrection, Jesus has proven that he alone can offer us the ultimate hope over, about life and death and in life and in death. And because he has risen from death, proving that he is the ultimate hope over life or in life and over death, Jesus alone has the authority, Jesus alone has the authority to give us hope for all things in life, including the hardest questions that we all face and ask in life. If you're a guest with us this morning, as I said, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village Church. And um, I don't always dress like a TV preacher, but when I do, <laughs> I wear shoes that are under $100, okay? I wear shoes that are under $100. If you're a guest with us this morning, I want to invite you in to our Easter morning celebration. I also want to invite you into the things that we've been doing together as a church over the last number of weeks. Over the last number of weeks, we've been looking at the biblical book of 1 Peter in a sermon series we've been calling Hope, Helpful Wisdom for Hard Days. And we've been talking about this because many people believe and think, and maybe you're one of them, that, that we're actually living in some pretty hard days, and harder days are in front of us. Hard days socially. Have you noticed that? Hard days economically. Maybe you're, maybe you're feeling that. Hard days politically. Hard days morally, all kinds of things are hard today. And we believe that Jesus has the most helpful wisdom to help us to navigate those hard days in a way that would be most pleasing to him. And as we've been talking about this, one of the things that we've been reminded is that in the midst of hard days, when hard days come, they have a way of causing us to feel a little hopeless. Actually, um, a recent study by LifeWay Research found that more than 40% of Americans say they feel hopeless about life, at least some of the time. Most of us have a sense of hopelessness at least some of the time, and that sense of hopelessness is building. A University of Michigan study found that only one in five Americans have really any sense of hope for the future. And during hard days and increasingly hopeless times, we can find ourselves selves wrestling with some of the hardest questions in life. Some of those common, but some of the most difficult, some of the deepest, some of the hardest questions in life. Who am I? And why am I here? And where am I going? And how is it that I'm actually going to get there? 
And the good news for us as Christians is that we never have to wonder about these biggest questions in life. Jesus answers these questions for us. Matter of fact, Jesus answered these questions very clearly for us. And in the book of 1 Peter, Peter, who's one of the three closest disciples to Jesus, and honestly, one of Jesus' three closest earthly friends, Peter shares this hope. Peter shares hope-filled answers to these four questions and more with a group of Christians who are going through the hardest days of their lives. Honestly, much harder than the days that we're living in today. And Peter knows that they want and Peter knows they need hopeful answers to these hardest questions in life. And so, actually, Peter doesn't waste any time. Peter gets right to it. Matter of fact, in the first five verses of Peter's letter, he answers these four questions in the first five verses. Doesn't waste any time, just gets right down to the questions that we all know we have, that we all know we need hopeful answers to. He starts by answering the first two questions, who am I and why am I here? Um, I want to let you know that Peter speaks in some like theologically rich language, and I'm going to do my best to, to break it down for us this morning. But here's the way that Peter says it. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, in Bithynia, Asia Minor, that's where this is. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. The first question that Peter gives us a hopeful answer to is this question, who am I? Who am I? And Peter tells us that, that through the faith in Jesus and faith in his resurrection, he tells us that who we are is we are chosen by God. He says we are elect exiles. God has elected us. God has chosen us according to the foreknowledge of God. God always knew this. God always knew that, that he would choose us and that we would respond to him. We would choose him back. And Peter knows this because this is what Jesus said. Peter's not making this up. Peter's going back to the teaching of Jesus that he heard for three years. Jesus told us that he has chosen us as his disciples. He said to his first disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Jesus has chosen us as his disciples. If we are followers of Jesus, he's chosen us as his disciples, but there's more. Jesus has chosen us as his friends. In the Gospel of John, Jesus tells his disciples, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. That as his disciples, he also calls us friends. He's called us to be his disciples. He's called us to be his friends. And there's more. He's called us to be his family. He's called us to be his family. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, Jesus says, is my brother, my sister, my mother. This is who my family is. My family is the people that follow me, believe in me, trust in me, do the will of my Father in heaven as I do. If you're a Christian this morning, you're chosen by God. That is who you are. But Peter also tells us that because of our faith in Jesus in his resurrection, we're not only chosen by God, but we're set apart by God in the world for the things that God has for us, which are really important things, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But he says it this way, in the sanctification of the Spirit. That word sanctification literally means to be set apart. And if you're a Christian this morning, you know this. You know who you are. You are chosen by God, and you're set apart by God in this world. Set apart for him. This is who you are because of your faith in Jesus 
and his resurrection. Now, the downside is that, um, unfortunately, too many of us are looking for our identity in too many other places. We're looking for our identity in things like our gender. That's really popular today, isn't it? Our ethnicity or the color of our skin. Where we live. What we do for work. What our socioeconomic status is. What our social status is. What our relationship status is. <laughs> We're so silly. We even find our identity in our political affiliations. And even hobbies. And my assumption is that's those are places that many of us have either consciously or subconsciously been finding our sense of identity. But Peter tells us there's so much more to our identity as Christians. So many, so many better places, such a better place we could place our identity as people who are chosen by God, who are set apart by God in the world. That's a really special identity. Look, I know probably some of you are, are thinking this morning, maybe you're new to this and you're thinking, well, how would I know? How would I know that I'm chosen by God? How would one know that and how could I be chosen by God? That's actually a really, really good question. And I want to answer that question in just a bit. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do just that at the end of our time together this morning. But the short answer is this. If you're wondering if you're chosen by God, just... Just respond to what you sense Jesus might be inviting you into. If Jesus, if you sense Jesus is inviting you to follow him, respond to him. If you're wondering if you're chosen by God, here, here's, here's the easy response. <laughs> Choose him back. Just, just decide that you want to follow Jesus. That might be a really good indication that he has chosen you. The second question Peter provides a hopeful answer to is this question, why am I here? Peter answers the question, who am I? You were chosen by God and you're set apart by God in the world. If you're a Christian, that is who you are because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But the second question he, asks, he answers is, why am I here? And the answer to this question, why am I here, is inextricably connected to the first question, who am I? Right? If I find my identity in my gender, then the why of my life is my gender identity. If I find my identity in my ethnicity, the why of my life is the color of my skin. If I find my identity in where I live, the why of my life is as silly as my zip code, right? If I find my identity in what I do for work, like my why of my life is my career path. If I find my identity in my socioeconomic status, the why of my life is my net worth. If I find my identity in my social status, my identity is the amount of followers I have on Instagram, right? If I find my identity in my Relationship status, it's connected to whatever relationship I'm in at the time. And if I find my identity in my political party, then the why of my life is elections, and that's pretty silly. Right? What a sad place to find our identity. Listen to me. These whys of our lives are way too small. And Peter offers us a, a much greater why to our lives when he says, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Peter tells us that because of our faith in Jesus and because of our faith in his resurrection, we are chosen by God in the world, set apart by God in the world, to act like Jesus while we're in the world. To act like Jesus while we're in the world. He says, for obedience to Jesus Christ. What better person... <laughs> Would we want to become like? What, what greater person would we want to act like with, than Jesus? I mean, today we have this habit of following these social influencers. I was in the car with my son yesterday, and someone was described as influencer. I was like, that is a job today. 
to be an influencer. So many of us want to become like other people that we see on a screen. If you want to become like someone, become like Jesus. What better person to emulate than Jesus? He is the central, most popular, most revered, most thought after, most followed, most talked about, most worshipped person in the history of the world. What greater purpose could we have in life than following Jesus and acting like Jesus? And again, Peter is not saying this based on his own opinion or his own sense of wisdom. He's saying it because he heard it from Jesus. In John 14, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself or show myself to him. This is the way it works. We follow Jesus. We obey Jesus. Jesus shows more of who he is to us. We obey Jesus in that. We become more like Jesus. He shows more of who he is to us. We obey Jesus in that. He shows more of himself to us. We obey Jesus in that. We become more and more like Jesus. This is the point of our life as Christians. This is the big why, to act like Jesus. Peter tells us there's another why, not only to act like Jesus, but to witness to the forgiveness of Jesus and for the sprinkling of his blood or for the sprinkling with his blood. The why of our life is to act like Jesus and then to demonstrate, to display, we say here at Village Church, to display the life of Jesus to the people around us, to show them what a life that's forgiven by Jesus looks like, what a life that's now forgiven and free from sin looks like. That's the why of our lives as Christians. Jesus said it this way, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. As Christians, we're not just here for ourselves. We're here for other people. We're here for the world, actually. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. We are here to share the hope of forgiveness, the hope that we're singing about this morning, the hope of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We're here to share that hope with other people around us, and we're here to show them something of the impact of the forgiveness of Jesus on the life of a human being. And you know the beauty of it? (laughs) The beauty of it is that we can do that no matter what our gender is. And we can do that no matter what the color of our skin is. And we can do that no matter what we do for work. Blue collar, you know, white collar, whatever in between. We can do that no matter what our socioeconomic status is, how much we have in the bank. We could do that no matter what our social status is. We can do that no matter what our relational status is. We can do that, believe it or not, whatever political party we're part of, right? We can do this in and through any of these things. We can live out our identity through all of those things and more. That's the beauty of what it means to be a Christian. None of those things ultimately matter. What matters is that we're chosen by God out of the world, we're set apart by God in the world to act like Jesus while we're in the world and to show the world something of what the forgiveness of Jesus looks like. (laughs) And what bigger why could we have than that? And I say, well, what is Peter's first reaction to all this? This idea that we are chosen by God out of the world, we're set apart by God while we're in the world, to look like Jesus and to act like him while we're in the world. Like, what, what's Peter's reaction to this? Well, in context, we, Peter says this, and we've already read the verse. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's first reaction is to bless God. Peter's first reaction is to praise God, to thank God. That's his first reaction to these things. His reaction to this idea that we have a new identity 
We have a greater purpose, a bigger why for our life than you could ever imagine. And then we have an opportunity to look like Jesus as we, we live our lives. Peter's first reaction is blessing God, thanking God, praising God. And so I thought that Easter Sunday morning would be a great morning to do something that I've never done in 15 years being at this church. What other morning would be better morning than Easter morning? To bless God together, to praise God together, and to give him thanks. So we're going to do something we've never done before at the Village Church. Like, I don't usually dress like a TV preacher, and if you're new with us, we usually don't do this. But we're going to do this morning. We're going to do this morning. You know, um, maybe you've been to a church service before where the guy that's leading worship like Reagan was earlier is singing a song, and then he kind of pauses the, 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 the words, and he says, hey, let's just give God, like, some praise this morning. Like, like, let's offer praise to God. Let's just shout out to God and give him praise for what he's done. And, and that happens. Maybe you've been in that church service before, and if you haven't, I'm sure you've found yourself in an arena or a stadium where someone does something amazing, and then everyone cheers and yells. And some of you do this thing that I can't do, you know, with your, with your with you whistle, Right? You do that thing, and it's loud. Some of you are too loud, but, but this morning, I don't really care. I think this morning what we should do is we should offer praise to God. We should offer thanks to God. We should bless God. We should shout out to God. So if you want to clap, you can clap. If you want to shout out, you can shout out. If you can do the whistle thing, let's go. Let's do it. But this morning, I think it's an appropriate time because Jesus has done something amazing. He's lived, he's died, and he's risen from death. So I think he deserves some praise this morning. What about you? All right? So let's go. Hey, let's go. Let's go. All right, let's go. Let's keep it going. Come on. Let's go. All right. I like that, Tahini. All right. Look at that. Wow. Who knew we were charismatic? You know what I mean? Who knew we were charismatic? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Reagan, uh, Reagan you got permission now, man. You could, you could, yeah, you're good. We're good now. Gosh, why did it take 15 years for that? It was good. Hey, listen. If you're a Christian this morning, <laughs> please live joyfully out of your identity in Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, go today and go tomorrow and go every day living joyfully out of your identity in Christ. If you're a Christian and you've been living from a lesser identity, one of the things I mentioned or something else and you know it, Remember who you are. You're chosen by God out of the world, set apart for God in the world, to look like Jesus while you're in the world. And if you're not yet a Christian and you've joined us this morning, we're so glad you're here. Remember, you can come to Jesus. You can find your true and better identity in him. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of our time together this morning. So look, Peter quickly and concisely answers two of the hardest questions in life, but he goes on to answer another one. Where am I going? Where am I going? And too many of us are too often thinking and about and focused on this question of where am I, am I going in this life? Where am I going in this life? And we keep on focusing on where am I going next and where am I going next and where am I going after that? So, so for most of us, we're grown and, and maybe, maybe the question is like, where am I going to college? And then the next question is, what am I going to do for work? And the next question to that is, <laughs> how much money am I going to make, Right? And then the question after that is, who am I going to marry? And the question after that is, who will be my friends? What will be my social circles? The question after that might be, how many kids am I going to have? The question after that might be, are my kids going to have the same kind of life that I had? Are they going to grow up in a different world than I did? 
And the question after that is, what is our life going to be like as a family? And the question after that is, what kind of memories are we going to make? And the question after that is, what kind of family is going to be built? And how many grandchildren will I have? And then the question after that is, how long will I have to work? And the question after that is, when am I going to retire? And the question after that is, what is, what is the end of life look like for me? But I think we all know that when we ask this question, where am I going, we're not asking that. We're not asking what the next step is. We're asking, where am I going? The question is not, where am I going in this life? The question is, where am I going after this life? When we ask the question, where am I going, we all know that is the question that we're asking, and Peter actually addresses that question, where he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Peter tells his readers and us that as we live out of our new identity in Jesus, as people who are chosen by God out of this world, set apart by God in the world, to act like Jesus while we're in the world, that Jesus gives us a future that is beyond this world. He says, kept in heaven for you. We know where we are going. Question for you this morning is, do you know where you are going? Do you know where you are going? A recent Pew Research poll found that 75% of Americans believe they are going to heaven. 75% of Americans believe they're going to heaven. You know what? I hope they're right. I mean, I'm a little skeptical, but I hope they're right. And the reason I hope they're right is because heaven is a pretty incredible place. And the alternative, not so much, right? Not so much. Heaven is a place that is eternal. Peter says it's imperishable. Heaven is a place that's eternal. It lasts forever. Listen to me. Think about the best time you've ever had in life. Think about the best moments you've had in life. Think about the best location you've ever been at with the best people and friends. Think about the best food you're eating at the time. Think about the best atmosphere, the best conversation, the best of all of that, and you hope it never ends. That's it. Heaven is eternal. It's imperishable. Not only that, it's not affected by sin. I mean, think about your life not impacted by sin. Think about your life not broken the way that it is. Think about our world not broken the way that it is. It's undefiled. It's eternal. It's not affected by sin. And it never loses its luster. He says it's unfading. This whole idea of that, like that never-ending, incredible, joyful time with yourself and the people you love and doing the things you love and food and drink and all the conversation and all the joy and all the laughter, all of it, all the, the special place, the perfect location, the perfect atmosphere, all of that never-ending, nothing can make it, nothing can break it, nothing can get in on that. There's no sin and that never loses its luster. It's always like that. That apparently is what heaven's like. <laughs> it sounds like a pretty great place to be. And once again, in giving us the answer to these questions, Peter is not just drawing on his own thinking. He's drawing on the teaching of Jesus. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus tells his disciples he's going to heaven. He's going to prepare a place for them there. And he's going to come back. We've just sang about it this morning. And he's going to receive them to himself. And then they're going to be there with him. It's incredible. But Jesus also gives an incredible warning about heaven to, uh, well, to people that would profess to follow Jesus. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
As I say that, maybe some of you think, <laughs> well, if not everyone says, who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, how do I know if I'm going? Like, how do I know if I'm going to get there? And I've told you this twice, and I'll, I'll tell you it again. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to be certain about that in just a few minutes at the end of our time together this morning. But for now, what I'll tell you is that 5% of Americans who believe in heaven don't believe they'll go there. That's what Pew Research found. That 5% of Americans that believe in heaven don't believe they'll go there. Let me put that in perspective. This morning, that means between 10 and 20 people that are in this building this morning believe in heaven, but they don't believe they're actually going. Or they don't know if they're going. And maybe one of those 10 to 20 people is you. And that's not like a preacher sort of scare tactic. That's just the reality of the statistics from people all over our country that don't have a lot of bias in it. How am I going to get there? That's a really good question. It's actually the last question that Peter asks or answers. How am I going to get there? Peter tells them how in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Peter says as Christians we get to heaven. We get to him through faith. We get there through faith. And now I know some of you are hardly thinking, <laughs> wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that, that we've gotten these answers on like who I am, you know, why am I here, where am I going, and how am I going to get there? And sort of the end seems like really important. And you're saying that the greatest assurance that I can have that I'm going to get there is my faith. And I'm saying absolutely yes. Absolutely 100% yes because the faith that we have is faith that's been given to us by God. And the Bible tells us that it's actually a gift of God. We can't earn it on our own. And the Bible also tells us that it's a gift of God, given to us by God, but it's grounded in facts that have been validated by God in the world. And nowhere else is that more true than in the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you know this. And if you're not yet a Christian and you don't know the Bible, there are so many facts surrounding the resurrection of Jesus. But this morning, I only have time to share a few of them with you. There's eyewitness evidence to this. Peter, the guy who wrote this book, Peter, the guy we're talking about right now, he says he saw the resurrected Jesus as one of his disciples. James, the brother of Jesus, saw Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus during his ministry, but did believe in Jesus after his ministry and wrote a book in the Bible. Imagine if your brother growing up was God in human flesh, right? James sees it after the resurrection and God's like, yep, that's it. <laughs> God in human flesh, right? I saw it the 12 disciples, and Paul tells us that over 500 witnesses saw it at one time at the Sea of Galilee. There's character witness evidence. Peter, the guy that we're talking about right now, he was a mess. If you read Matthew, Mark, or Luke especially, you'll see the transformation of Peter's life, the transformation of all of the disciples, an entire church is a group of people, the transformation of the entire world. Jesus has transformed the world, and there's no doubt about that. There's circumstantial evidence. There's this thing called an empty tomb, <laughs> this kind of thing, right? There's an empty tomb, and, and the Romans and the Jews have no motive to steal the body, and the disciples have no means. They can't steal the body. Like, the circumstantial evidence on itself is just like there's no other explanation, but then there is extra biblical evidence because some of you might say, well, you're just talking about stuff that's in the Bible, but there's Jewish historians like Josephus who have no reason to validate these things, and yet they, and yet they do because they're historical facts and realities. The resurrection of Jesus is the fact 
that makes us certain about everything that Jesus says about who we are and why we're here and where we're going and how we're going to get there. It's faith, and it's faith that's built on facts, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. And in context here, that, that faith, the guarded through faith, through God's power, the context, God's power is the power of the resurrection. And what Peter is saying is that the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that gives us faith and is the power that guards our faith. So you ask, is, is the greatest assurance I have my faith? A hundred percent. Because that faith has been given to you by the power of God. It's guarded by the, the power of God. The same power, Peter is saying, that raised Christ from the dead. Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're here? Do you know where you're going? And do you know how you're going to get there? As we wrap up our time together this morning, I want to tell you that after Jesus told his disciples in that very intimate setting, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus also told them, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? It's a very intimate setting with Jesus and his disciples. Peter is there. Peter is present at this conversation. Thomas asked, Lord, how do we know where you're going? How do we know the way? And in John 14, 6 is one of the most quoted scriptures in in, in all of the Bible, and you may have heard a Christian quote it to you before if you're not yet a Christian. Jesus said to them, this is where this happened. Jesus said to them, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's, those are Jesus' words. Those are, it's not Christian words that you've heard from a Christian author or podcaster or preacher. That, those are the words of Jesus. And I told you at the beginning of our time together in the sermon that I was going to give you an opportunity to know that that you've been chosen by God, and that you could choose him back. And I told you partway through this sermon that I was going to give you an opportunity to know that actually you could go to heaven and how to actually get there. To know for certain that you are chosen by God. To know for certain that you are set apart by God in the world. To know for certain that, that you're on your way to heaven, that you're headed to heaven and you're going to make it. And if, if you're wondering about that, and if those are things that you want, you want a new identity in Christ. You want a bigger why for your life. You do want to live and become more like Jesus. You don't even know all what that means yet, but it sounds like what you want, and you know God's impressing this on you. If you know that you want to be confident, you don't want to be one of the 5% of Americans who believe in heaven but don't actually think they're going or don't know if they are. Jesus says all you have to do is believe. Jesus says all you have to do is believe. The whole thing is based on belief. It's based on faith. It's based on trust. Christianity is not a system based on works. Yes, we do obey Jesus to become more like him, to honor him. We do obey Jesus because we love him. Because as we obey Jesus, he shows more of himself to us. We become more like him. But Christianity is not just about following rules. There's not a bunch of things that we need to do to become Christians. There's one thing you have to do, and that thing is believe. Jesus says you have to believe. Believe in what? I believe that Jesus is the way. Not my words, Jesus' words. Believe that Jesus is the way. Believe that Jesus is the way 
to have relationship with God. Believe that Jesus is the way to be reconciled to God. You know your relationship with God is broken. Believe Jesus is the way. Believe Jesus is the way to be forgiven for the sin that's in your life. All the times that you mess up, miss the mark, fall short, offend God, offend others. You know what it is. Believe in Jesus. Believe Jesus is the way to forgiveness. Believe in Jesus. Believe Jesus is the truth. Believe Jesus is the truth about, about God, about who God is. Believe Jesus is the truth about how to have relationship with God. Believe Jesus is the truth about everything, about who God said that he is and how we have relationship with him, how we get to him. Believe Jesus is the truth. And believe Jesus is not only the way and the truth, but believe Jesus is the life. Believe Jesus is the one that gives spiritual life. Not spirituality, but believe Jesus is the one who gives spiritual life and spiritual vitality through his life lived for us, through his death died for us, and through his resurrection that proves it all. You can know who you are, you can know why you're here, you can know where you're going, and you can know for certain that you'll get there through your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, through belief in Jesus as the Son of God who's come to save us from our sin. We would invite you to place your faith and your hope and trust in him this morning. And this is the good news. We can have hopeful wisdom for life's hardest questions because of the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus. And I hope that's good news for you this Easter Sunday morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for the hopeful wisdom that you've given us. We thank you for the hope that you have given us through our belief and our trust in you. We thank you that our faith is a gift from you. We thank you that it's guarded by your power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. We're grateful that, that Lord, we're certain that, that we're gonna get to you and get to heaven through this faith that you have given us. If you're here this morning with us, as we're, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, as, if you're here this morning with us and, and you're not yet a Christian and you want to place your faith in Jesus, I just want to tell you, just tell him. Just tell him, Jesus, I believe that you are the way. Just even under your breath, just pray and say, Jesus, I believe that you are the way. I believe you are the way to relationship with God. I believe you are the way to forgiveness, and I need it. I believe that you are the truth. Tell him you believe he's the truth about who God is, that you believe he is the, in, in truth, that he is God, the God-man, fully God and fully man. Tell him you believe he is the truth about how to be reconciled to God, and you know you need it. Tell him you believe he's the life. Tell him you believe there's no other way to spiritual life besides him. And tell him you want the spiritual life that only he can give. Just tell him. No fancy prayer, just use normal words and tell him this morning. I believe you're the way, I believe you're the truth, I believe you're the life. If that's you this morning, as we wrap up our time, can I encourage you to talk with someone who invited you, or I'd love to see you myself, and talk about your new belief in Jesus. And Jesus, we do believe in you, and together as your people, we declare that we believe that you are the way, that we believe you are the truth, that we believe you are the life. We believe in your life, your death, and your resurrection. And we thank you for these things. We do it in your, your good and, and risen name, Jesus.